Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Hi, I'm Eric Galindo Training Director for the FSI Training School For individuals and businesses we offer certification courses in CPR and First Aid through the American Heart Association and also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Thank you for joining us tonight for the Bible Live, the quiz show. We're going to continue our way tonight through that ra- that remarkable book in the Old Testament, the Tanakh, called the book of Joshua. There's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then comes this uh, book that uh, covers about, a, if I remember correctly, something like a 25 to 35-year period uh, as the people of Israel move from the east side of the Jordan into the promised land uh, under the leadership now of Joshua, not Moses. Uh, we covered the first six chapters the other night and uh, last week, and uh, we finished up chapters 6 through 24 this week. So we'll, we'll discuss this remarkable book. I, I find it extremely interesting, and there seems to be a lot of things that we can learn about how God deals with people and with people groups, uh, this is something uh, that we'll watch as God deals with the people of Israel, as he deals with the Canaanites, the Hittites, the groups that were in Canaan, uh, the wickedness and the immorality that was there. That has been attested to not only through Scripture, but through archaeology. It was an it was incredibly cruel and immoral people 
that inhabited Canaan. And for that reason, God used the people of Israel in judgment over them. So we bring up the topics and themes, uh, yes, of, of, of war, uh, the realities of war, the limitations of war, how war is seen. I've, I'm kind of very much in touch with that as we work with uh, men and women in uniform, at, at, uh, particularly those who are uh, from the United States Air Force. But also we are dealing with men and women from all the different branches of uh, the military through a crew military, our ministry to the military community at large. <clears throat> of course, a very important ministry a part of the crew teams of ministry, a campus, high school, inner city, and business professional community here in South, South Texas and San Antonio. But an important part of our ministry is what we do with the military community at Fort Sam, Lackland, and other bases here in the city. So we'll get into the book of Joshua tonight. We'll get some questions up there for you and also to uh, be ready to take your phone calls uh, for this entire 90 minutes, 340 9585. And before we get going too far, I better say hi to my partner, Jacob. How are you doing, Jacob? Good to hear from you tonight. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I want you to know that tonight will be one of the very few nights that I will not have to look at your back. That's right. <laughs> and we miss it. He always brings in a, a little treat for us uh, each weekend, it seems like. Brings in some cookies or some uh, baked goods of some kind, and we we missed that tonight, Jacob, for sure. Well, you have my permission to go to the nearest restaurant after the show and indulge. Well, thank you very much. That, that's nice of you to give me that uh, that freedom. <laughs> We're glad to have you uh, on the phone tonight, and, and our uh, listeners can still call in, and you'll still have a lot to comment about and think about. In general, tell me uh, how you view how... Uh, the book of Joshua, the Joshua as a leader, the person of Joshua, uh, how he is viewed from the Jewish Hebrew perspective, traditionally, historically. Uh, how is this period of time? It, it, it's, it's war. It's about, what, seven or eight years of out-and-out -out war. They divide the country into two, and they take the northern kingdoms and then the southern kingdoms. And I mean, there is a real... I've I've heard that this the strategy the war strategy the battle strategy in the book of Joshua has actually been studied and is often used and studied even at like West Point and other military places but uh we 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 see this going on how how is Joshua seen these particular years in, in, by the Jewish people as you study the scriptures what what are the principal lessons that you guys get out of it or or what are the principal themes <laughs> Well, us guys. You guys. You guys. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, us guys. You guys. Yeah. Um, the, uh, well, I, I think symbolically it can be encompassed by the fact that there was a parting of the water when they left Egypt. You know, it was, it was a big deal. It was in all the papers. Uh, and this is the second time that water has parted for them, right? Right, exactly. So there's something going on with the parting of the water. So when they're now the, after they part the water, now they're supposed to carry it forth as individuals and do what they're supposed to do. They've made covenants, they've made promises, and so they should be carrying forth. And uh, I, I'm uncomfortable with the word conquering, but I, I prefer to use the word reclaiming uh -huh, all right. because, because um, 
Yeah, because they're reclaiming what God gave them. And by the way, uh, not only did the, God gave that to them, but of course a lot of people would say, well, you know, anybody can say God gave them something, but there is a difference. And it's this. The Jews, Israel, had a title, a deed. Did you know that? Yes, I did know that. Yes, you did, because I know you're a very smart man. Yes. Bible. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, so they actually staked out the land, they paid for it. So if somebody disputed the right to get it from God, they actually bought and paid. And if you go at the purchases from Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, David, you'll find that you have, they actually purchased the land. In fact, in 19, it was in 1947, I believe it was when uh, Ben-Gurion was in the, uh, in a trial setting, if you will, in the United Nations, uh, they said, look, these Arabs have been here for, oh, roughly 2,000 years. Do you have anything to show that you have some right to this land? And Ben-Gurion, the guy who helped establish Israel, said to the United Nations, yes, we have a deed. Now, what's fascinating is he didn't say God gave it to us. Instead, he produced the Bible, and then there's all the places that they actually purchased. And the deed, you have to have the buyer, the seller, the price, and how much land it is. And that's all in there. So he defended on the fact that he had a deed. And the Bible gives all the meets and bounds and everything, so we know what it is. So based on that, in 1948, they were reestablished. So when Joshua's crossing over, he's actually, the water's parting again. But this time, the people themselves are expected to perform and carry out their part of the covenant. And that is a very interesting idea, because remember, Egypt was the God. He was doing this side, and I know there's some different takes on the Ten Commandments, but the first one for the Jews is, I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the house of bondage, out of Egypt, to be your God. Now, I know the Protestants and the Catholics have a different number one, but that's okay. Uh, but the point is, so when the second group of water passes, now it's turned around. They're supposed to keep their part of the covenant and settle the land that God originally gave and was bought by them. So I guess that's kind of how it's looked at. It, it's a re remarkable theme, and it's a remarkable period of time. There are so many lessons that could be learned, both individually. Some people have seen the book of Joshua, the the time, the, the reclaiming of the land of Canaan. Uh, of course, the earliest promise regarding, regarding the territory that would belong to Israel uh, was made to Abraham. Um, we read about it back in the book of Genesis. Uh, the promised territory at that time was even broader than what would be, would be taken by Israel under Joshua. Uh, um, <clears throat> it seems like the, uh, Genesis chapter 15, uh, I was looking at it earlier, it would stretch from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River in the north. Uh, it was a much larger area that was mentioned. And with those boundaries, Israel would have stretched from, uh, it seems like I remember, from North Africa across the Sinai Peninsula, Peninsula to the other side of the Mesopotamia um, that bordered even as far, perhaps even as far east as ancient Babylon uh, for modern, or modern Iraq, what we call Iraq today. Uh, I think the land that was originally, if I remember, some 250, 300,000 square miles was spoken of, which would be very large. Uh, I don't know if it's large as Texas. It would be twice as large as California. Uh, it would be a, a fairly large nation, actually. But Israel never conquered the land to that extent. And, of course, modern no. Israel today is smaller even than uh, 
the time in the ruling of David and Solomon in that era. That well, actually, yeah, Israel today is the size of New Jersey. Right. You have about 8,000 square miles, something like that, eight or 9,000, I believe. So, uh, yeah, it's a remarkable time as they go in. We learn these lessons. Uh, we see we see how God deals with evil. Uh, the, the, we're talking about corruption. We're talking about immorality at a cultural, at a societal level. Uh, there among the, um, the these Canaanite groups, uh, as I said, archaeology even has proven and shown how very, very immoral and wicked they had become and how very corrupt. And uh, so we see how God uses people. And, and of course, later on, we see, uh, sadly, we see how God deals with even his own people when they fall into sin and, and unrepentant and not responding to their to the Lord, then they too are just. We, I see, we get a clear picture of the justice that God is just and, and righteous in all His ways. I think it's one of the great themes of the book. The other thing I, I, I was kind of noting myself was that evil, evil has to be destroyed. It, it cannot be tolerated. It cannot be played with. It cannot be polite and, and given a place, uh, you know, out of kindness or graciousness. Uh, or, or even mercy in some ways. Evil has to be destroyed and defeated and, and, and has to be driven out of our lives. And it cannot, I think it's one of the great lessons, uh, not only here in the book of Joshua, but as we go on through into Judges and uh, Ruth. Now, all of these next books, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, uh, they are taken from this era, this particular time period in uh, of 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 the people of Israel as they they set out to with the promise of Mount Sinai, with the promise of their commitment to God and promises they've made to God under a godly leader under Joshua. And they, they remain fairly faithful to the Lord during the lifetime of Joshua and the, the elders of the, uh, his time. But then as they move away from that initial experience with God, those who had seen God and experienced God, uh, they they moved away and they began to lose their their freedoms. They began to lose uh, their um, their land. Actually, their culture degenerated as well. And that's another thing, Jacob. I'd like to emphasize too is that not only does evil have to be destroyed, but every generation has to do it. it it's it's not something you do once and then you wipe your hands and everybody lives happily ever after, is it? Every generation, every. Uh, decline and and uh, decline and, and judgment are only one generation away. If we miss a generation with the gospel and uh, coming in, into that relationship with God and serving God with that idea, uh, it's easy. To, I think maybe we've seen some of that take place in our own country. I don't know. Are, are, do um, are we free from the Hebrew perspective? Do y'all ever make uh, comparisons about the? you know, nationally about our nation today? In some ways, does it resemble? In what way would you kind of compare it to the experience of Israel in these times, Jacob? Well, uh, I have heard it said that um, the traveling from Egypt to uh, to the land of Israel, it it is symbolic of going through the wilderness. It's kind of what we're doing in the world today. We're traveling through the wilderness. And if you want to apply it to a spiritual sense, that Israel is the what you might call the physical example of uh, teaching of uh, the idea of 
if you will, going to heaven, that kind of thing, because that's where God's laws are supposed to be kept. And so you've got this physical example being taught a spiritual idea, and that's why it's uh, it's considered to be the human being's job to make the world a tukin uh, alam, is, is the Hebrew for it, to redeem the world, to repair the world. And the way you repair it is by doing God's laws on earth. Of course, as we've talked about many times, getting to heaven has nothing to do with doing God's laws. It's how you're supposed to live here on earth. In fact, uh, a gentleman I think you may have heard of, his name was Jesus. He said, <laughs> he said to him, yeah, I thought you might, yeah. He, uh, he said, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it's actually from an old Jewish prayer. He was not the originator, but he had given, hey, we got to give him high grades for repeating it. Amen. And so. Most everything but, he said came from that old book, didn't it? Well, yeah, because it, it seems to have. I mean, I think he was, uh, I think he was a pretty sharp guy. Anyway, so, but, so you've got this idea. Why bring what you will be doing on earth that is in heaven? The real question is, well, what is the purpose of going to Israel or coming to earth, going through this wilderness, because the truth is, if God just wants you to come here and then believe that you're going back, you know, from a, this is from a Jewish perspective, is, well, why come? I could, if I'm in heaven, let's say, I believe it. So the idea is the old sages have the idea, and this embodies the idea of Israel, is that your job is to make earth holy by God's laws, as Jesus had said, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. So the job was was to make God's laws uh, how this world lives, and then it will be very close to what it is in heaven. It doesn't get you to heaven, but your job and the old Jewish explanation of why people come to earth is exactly what Jesus had said, to make this place God's laws as it is in heaven. That's would the that, way the Jews perceive it. Would that in some sense be uh, related to the purpose of Joshua and the people of Israel now as they enter this promised land is to drive out wickedness and evil and to make this truly a, a holy land, uh, God's uh, God's land, God's people dwelling there. That, they had that same challenge to, to uh, drive out and destroy wickedness, to discourage it, and to... To live as God's hey, people. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly, thank you for pulling it together in a in a nutshell. That's exactly what it's supposed to be about. I have heard the, the experience of crossing the Jordan, which we already read about in the first, uh, in chapters uh, 4 and 5 of Joshua, as the, as the people crossed the Jordan, starting in chapter 3, actually, uh, with the Ark of the Covenant and with the, the people... Uh, certainly committed to the battle and committed to to godliness and, and looking to the Lord for their leadership. Uh, I, I remember that, that Joshua meets the commander of the Lord's army uh, uh, the night before they go in to Israel. And, and there's this wonderful command, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. We, heard, we read in Joshua 1.8 uh, how important God's law was to them. We read about Rahab, uh, 
and the spies that went in. I guess there were a couple of spies that went in in this particular occasion. That had this wasn't the first time they'd come to the. They, this is not the first time they had come to the border of Canaan uh, before entering, and the the last time they it was uh, they failed to go ahead and enter, and so uh, at the advice of, of twelve. 12 spies that uh, were sent in. Mm-hmm. This time, Joshua doesn't send 12. He, he sends two, I think it is, and uh, they meet this uh, either a, uh, kind of a, a, a what, what's the word, either either a prostitute or perhaps an innkeeper. Uh, bo- the word that we have for Rahab is, uh, is similar in use in, in both senses. But uh, she it, it remarkably is a woman who respects the God of Israel. She either remembers it from her childhood, the stories of their coming out of Egypt, or that story has been going on for and carried down for 40 years, and she still remembered it, and, uh, and, and as she heard it, perhaps as a child, she's, she has that commitment in that she, the true and living God. She has that commitment to know him and serve him, and uh, she does just that and is used of the Lord to help the people of Israel as they in their first battle with uh, the great city of Jericho, uh, we, we see that take place. So we'll pick up in chapter 6 with that particular battle, uh, the fall of Jericho and the very unusual battle plan. It, it had very little to do with weaponry, it seems like. It uh, had to do with prayer. It had to do with God's people remaining focused on Him. Uh, it had to be, you know, God's... The leadership, the God's, the uh, pastors and the priests of the era, uh, led out, and gave leadership. It, it's uh, quite an interesting experience. Give me the the uh, kind of the Hebrew take on the Battle of Jericho. Uh, one thing we might mention as well, a theme of Joshua Jacob is warfare and doing battle. And sometimes uh, I know it's one of the great. Even at the air at Lackland Air Force Base this morning, as we were teaching our different classes. Uh, to a little over a thousand five five six hundred young men and women uh, basic trainees there the the question came up in my class today again and it often does about how do we as christians how what does the bible tell us about war and about the idea that we're in the military which means that we've taken an oath to stand for our country to defend our country and what and we know that that oath means that we might indeed uh, be called upon uh, to kill uh, to fight an enemy, and so they—they, they, of course, like any of us, they—they think about that, they wonder about that, and that's one of the themes that we see in the Book of Joshua: is the theme of warfare, the theme of evil, and how God's people, uh, at times, I mean, we are called upon to absolutely resist and combat and and, and battle against evil and wickedness, and sometimes that battle even comes down to physical resistance whether it's a burglar in our home or in our city, in our town, with the police forces and authorities or even individuals, or uh, national-type warfare against tyranny, against uh, uh, wickedness and evil. So that's one of the great themes of the book of Joshua. It's a reality, and war is real. It's not wicked in and of itself. It's unfortunate, of course. It's a, it's a fruit of sinfulness and wickedness. But uh, maybe when we come back, we're going to take our break in just a minute or two. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about, is, is that theme? Well, actually, yeah, well, your question, yeah, your question number one would be a good place to pick. Uh, number one, the battle plan for conquering Jericho. 
Yeah, what was the battle plan? Maybe we, someone can give, call in and give us that answer. It's in chapter three, verse, uh, chapter six, verse three. What was the battle plan for conquering Jericho? Maybe you'd like to give us a call tonight, three four zero, ninety five eighty five, and uh, you'd like to sound off a little bit about that battle plan and what it meant. And all through the evening, you can call us three four zero ninety five eighty five. And talk about any of these themes, how God deals with people, how God uses the book of Joshua to talk to us about spiritual warfare as individuals uh, or about nations, how God judges and moves and controls nations and people groups of the world. Uh, All of those themes are open for us tonight. Uh, I would say this, Jacob, I've seen the crossing of the River Jordan sometimes likened to dying and going to heaven. Remember, there's an old hymn called Roll Jordan Roll, and it talked about the idea of going to heaven, as you mentioned, that sometimes the book of Joshua is likened to our sometimes the life experience of God's people here on uh, on earth. But also sometimes I've heard it likened to a Christian entering into his rest. Uh, the book of Hebrews seems to talk about that, uh, moving away from the journey of, of uh, the 40 years in the wilderness, but moving into maturity and stability and consistency in our in a Christian life, following the Savior by faith, moving or going into our rest is the term that's used. And I think that is likened as well at times to going into the uh, land uh, of Canaan. Well, there's our music. We do have to take a break real quick at our first bottom of the hour break. We'll come back with some more questions for you. Jacob is here with me. We'll comment more on the book of Joshua, give you a sense of the book, and kind of get into some of the details of it. 340-9585, you can join us. Don't go away. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning process? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. Join Barry Bass every weekday morning for the KSLR Morning Ministries, including Through the Bible, Renewing Your Mind, Truth for Life, and Focus on the Family. Weekdays from 6 to 10 on AM 630 KSLR and KSLR.com. The Word in South Texas, AM 630 KSLR. I've been here grounded for too long. I'm ready to see. Sing a different song. I've seen my troubles long.
fly, ready to move out. <laughs> uh, I'll fly away. Reminds me of that old hymn. Well, Jacob is on the line with us, and we are here to take your phone calls, 340-9585. Let me ask you a couple of questions from the Psalms. We also read uh, in our reading schedule this week as we go through the Bible, Psalms 42 through 45. And there's some interesting questions. It's really a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Psalm 42 in particular begins by uh, illustrating the psalmist thirst for God. Uh, and what animal, what animal, let me ask you that question in Psalm 42, verse 1. What animal is used to, uh, as an example of the psalmist thirst for the Lord. All right. Can you give us the answer to that? Give us a call, 340-9585. And then there's another question from Psalm 42 that kind of relates to the theme of uh, battle and spiritual warfare uh, here that we're going to the book of Joshua. Twice, two times in Psalm 42. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Jacob is saying oh. to us. <laughs> well, I, was giving, I was giving a musical hint. To the question. Oh, I see. Re sing it again. I didn't recognize it. Uh, uh, remember the old song? I think it's by Mozart. It's a plank, a female plank. Oh, oh yes, yeah, yeah. Is that by Mozart, or that's from Sound of Music? I think. Maybe that's where they got it. I don't know. It could be both. Twice in Psalm forty-two, two times, the enemies, uh, the the enemies that are spoken of there in the psalm. They mock the psalmist. They make fun of the psalmist by asking a question. What question do the enemies of the Lord and the enemies of the psalmist, what question do they ask twice during the book of, during the chapter 42 of the Psalms? It's found in verse 3 and in verse 10, if you'd like to uh, see it. And you may have been asked this question yourself over the years as you tried it in uh walked with the Lord, trusted to walk with the Lord. Maybe some people have asked you this question at times. Maybe you've even wondered this question yourself. Two questions from Psalm 42. We'll start out our, our questions this evening. Okay, from the book of Joshua now, Joshua uh, Jacob has already uh, given us the first question. What was the battle plan for conquering Jericho? We don't need all the necessarily the details uh, but it wasn't typical, was it? It wasn't uh, put your, uh, you know, put your archers over here. I, I heard a story one time, Jacob, a little boy that came home all excited from uh, vacation Bible school. And his mother said, well, what did you learn today? And he said, oh, the people of Israel came to uh, the Red Sea and, and they were trapped and they were going to be uh, destroyed. And Egypt, the Egyptian army was after them and, and uh but but God came through and opened up the sea and and then the tanks came over the top of the hill and 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 destroyed started attacking Egypt from this side and then the aircraft and the, and the bombers came over and started bombing the, the the Egyptians and and then the rockets began to fire off from the other side and and her mother said wait a minute wait a minute that that, that didn't happen that's not the way the story goes and he said yeah I know mom if I told you what really happened though you wouldn't believe me <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's what we start the book of Joshua with, is uh, going into crossing the Jordan. And now we have this battle uh, with the uh, city of Jericho, and it's a very unusual battle plan. So give us a call, 340-9585. We'd like to hear if you remember 
something of, of what the battle plan was for conquering Jericho. What else we got on the menu, Joshua, uh, Jacob? What other questions do you have? Mark? Well, uh, I, I kind of like uh, the talk about the one, number one, of course. But then we should also talk about um, how about uh, the guy that, uh, see, which line is this, number seven? Uh, year number three. After the victory of Jericho, why was Israel defeated by the small town of Ai? Very good, exactly. Um, we see this amazing victory, and the next thing you see, this tiny little town, uh, they don't even send out their full uh, army, but they get um, they get taught a lesson. Uh, wh- which one was that? I'm trying to find it here. Uh, <clears throat> it's in 7-1, seven, uh, I believe. Okay, chapter 7, verse 1. I'm looking for the... There it is. After the, okay. After the victory of Jericho, why was Israel defeated by the tiny little town of Ai? Does the word Ai have any particular meaning? I've, I've always wondered about that. You know, if it does, I don't know, but it, it's something that would yield the research. I thought it might have some uh, unique meaning uh, from that era. But it's a tiny little town, and we want to know, why was Israel defeated? What was the uh, primary reason for that? And, of course, there's a great lesson for us there as well. Another question, please. That's in Chapter 7, Verse 1. Let's take a couple more questions. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, How about this? Um, um, uh, Year number 24 is an interesting one. Whose remains were finally buried in the Promised Land as they requested almost 400 years earlier? And you know what they said when they were looking for them, Soapy? No. They said, well, that remains to be seen. (laughs) Did you just make that up? (laughs) Yes. uh I just can't believe it. That remains. That's where that phrase came from, huh? All right. They probably do. <clears throat> that is a very interesting it, it, uh, thing. It is. Actually. It's interesting because, uh, you know, when you realize, you say, wait a minute, this was planned way back when, 400 years earlier? Yes. That That, that is another, I, that's another evidence, another indication that this was not something that just happened spontaneously. There, this was This was and had been the plan of God. Uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, Israel, the people of God here, was was a promise. Uh, it was something they were to look forward to that God promised that he was going to bring about through the descendants uh, of Abraham. And, of course, now we see it come to fruition here, but it's many years after the promise was given. <clears throat> okay, let's go to one more question. Okay. Uh, this is kind of, uh, tell me if this is okay, but, you know, everybody knows that Joshua is Hosea, the uh, first pronounceable syllable of God's name being put on it. And uh, it becomes Yeshua, or in English, Joshua. So everybody knows that. That's a pretty famous guy. But the other guy that went with him was a guy named Caleb. Yes. So the question is, somebody should call and tell us what does Caleb mean? Oh, what does the name itself mean? Yeah, because everybody, and if you Google it, then I would encourage anybody to Google it because you're going to get it wrong. Da, 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 da. Right. Is that true, huh? 
Yeah. You mean Google can actually be wrong at times? That's that's very well. Uh, either that or the Bible's wrong. <laughs> well, I would I would go with I would go with Google being wrong in that particular case. Okay. All right, but if you keep googling, you keep researching, going through all those inane articles, you eventually will arrive at it. All right. But it's a it's a really understandable reason why people make such a mistake. But it, the the initial answer is rather unflattering. But I give you I'll give you peace because really the initial answer is really not correct. But everybody knows about Joshua. But what about Caleb? What's his name mean? All right. What is the meaning? That's not one of our questions on our sheet. But I'm going to trust you that you know the right answer to it. So that, oh, I was hoping you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll we'll Google it and get the right. Answer, right? Hey, well, let me ask one more question because uh, we're talking. <clears throat> Uh, well, since we've already m- mentioned his name, I'm going to go ahead and give this answer. During the conquest of Canaan, it says, what other Israelite beside Joshua? There there were other Israelites who had come out of Egypt with Moses, but a uh, major leader uh, that was actually mentioned, uh, what other Israelite major leader of the people was uh, came out of Egypt with Moses? And they, and they both were the two spies that had come back with the... Uh, with the message of faith, we can go in, we can conquer the promised land. God has given it to us, and uh, they were outvoted by the ten other spies. Uh, but if that was that was who we're talking about, Caleb. Uh, <clears throat> at the age of 40, he was one of the 12 spies. And now here we are, 45 years later, he's an 85-year-old man uh, during the conquest here as they move into, uh, into uh, the land of Canaan. A remarkable individual. Uh, without a doubt. But what does his name mean? What does Caleb mean? So we've got a lot of questions out there. Let's take our time as we uh, wait for phone calls, Jacob, 340-9585. If you'd like to call in and visit with us, give us an answer or maybe give some of your thoughts about uh, the book of Joshua, the idea of battle, the idea of spiritual battle and warfare that we have as individuals. Maybe you have questions about these themes. You can give us a call, 340 340- 9585. I know a theme that often comes up uh, in the book of Joshua, Jacob, is the theme of warfare. <clears throat> God is <clears throat> seen here actually directing the people of Israel to uh, to go into Canaan, to cross, to go into the land of Canaan, to conquer, to drive out the wickedness and the evil, the corruption, the immorality that was there present. Um, they were they were told to do that. That was their commitment to do that. That uh, God had told them that He was with them. He had shown and 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 uh, gave given tremendous signs and evidence that He was with them. Uh, and so we're going to watch this process. Some of their successes, and of course, uh, many of their failures, failures as well. And try to try to get some keys that we can uh, we can apply to our own lives. But w- what about um, battle and war? Uh, as people yeah. ask you about, well, did by did God command the killing of uh, innocents and, and and so on and and what what is the understanding there as we see the commandments of God well, going take, to the uh, lands to do battle? Yeah. Let's take a look at that because uh, I'm not going to mention how the question the answer about how they won in Jericho, but in uh, chapter six of Joshua, verse twenty one. Uh, do you see that one there? Yes, I have it. 
Uh, would you be kind enough to share it in your most eloquent voice with the audience? Chapter 6, verse 21. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, it said, Joshua said to the two spies. We were told, I mean, they were already been commanded to go to battle, uh, destroy everything in it with their sword, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, donkey, everything. But then he said, meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out. Bring her out. Along well, with her no, I, think we, I think maybe the version you're looking at maybe be numbered a little different than mine, I guess. Um, I'm looking at that. Yes. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Okay. Aha. Okay. And this is the issue. How could the God of the quote-unquote Old Testament be such a cruel guy? Because, you know, Jesus is a real nice guy. He's a sweetheart. But it seems, and you've heard this, the God of the Old Testament seems to be pretty vicious, right? Yes, that's the impression that some people seem to have, yes. <laughs> That's really the heart of this question about warfare. But now let's go back and look. And, I, and the version I'm looking at, it says, uh, everyone in the city uh, was uh, put to the sword. Now, so why the operative words in the city? Would you like to know the answer? I think I have a hint at it, but I'd like to hear your answer, yes. Sure. Well, this is... It's making a point about the city because let's find out exactly what the rules of war were, the God's laws, from Deuteronomy chapter 20. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, me too. Uh, uh, 20, verse 10. Okay. Uh, when you approach, and by the way, I'm reading, at this point I'm reading from the uh, NASB. Okay. Uh, when you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. If it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, then all the people who you have found uh, shall become your uh, laborers and shall serve you. However, if it does not make peace with you, makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. Now, uh, this first of all, this only applies to seven cities in the Bible. It does not apply generally. Mm -hmm. But here is the key. And so how did they interpret at that time? How did they understand these verses to mean? When you come up to a city, let's say Jericho. That's why in Joshua it's making very clear, it says, in the city. Those are the average words. But if you do not know these laws of God, then you'll not understand what's actually being said. So it's actually being said is, when you come up to a city, you offer terms of peace. And this is how it's always been implemented, and I'll give you a modern illustration in just a moment. But they always make a real wide road up to the city and say, look, if you, whoever doesn't want to fight, leave. And if you left and stayed on that road, you would not be harmed nor touched. But if you did not leave and you stayed in the city, you're making the declaration, we want to fight. That's why when you read this in Joshua, it says, in the city. That's now, if you know the rules from Deuteronomy that uh, you offer terms of peace, and it doesn't, then it's saying, we want to fight. Bring it on. So 
this is very interesting. And you've seen it recently within the last two years, maybe well, about two years. Even in modern Israel, Israel, right? Modern Israel. When they went to war, the last little skirmish with the uh, Palestinians, whoever they are. Um, anyway, the point is, before they went in, what did they do? They actually dropped leaflets and made phone calls and said, hey, we're coming in Thursday. If you're gone, that's fine. If you stay, we understand that you're wanting to fight. So you always had to make an opportunity for people that did not want to fight the opportunity to leave. Because if you didn't, if you didn't offer that opportunity, think about it. What you'd be saying is, if you just surround the city and say, we're going to kill you all. Well, at that point, the people inside the city would have no option but to fight, right? Yes. Uh -huh. So, but the way it always is implemented by historic Jewish literature is you must always offer terms of peace by letting the innocent leave the people that don't want to fight. And so, yeah, and, I, and the way they implemented it this last time was with the leaflets and the phone calls. They actually made phone calls and said, hey, we're coming in. Uh, anybody that doesn't want to leave, be gone within the next two days. And so the real crisis is like when the Hamas and whoever's there, and they threaten to kill these innocent people that want to leave, mm -hmm. those poor people are in a real dilemma. That's the, the Jews are saying, you don't want to fight, leave. And the other guy is saying, if you try to leave, we'll kill you. What a horrible spot to be in. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that we do so, see. Uh, what you're really looking at is the terms is you've got to let the people in the city go that want to go. But if they say, you stay, they're making declaration, come on, we want to fight. So that's why in Joshua it's making the words, using the operative words, in the city. But in, if you don't know what that means, then you'll think that God was a pretty cruel kind of guy. But he, there is always that road, that way out for people to flee the battle for innocence, for uh, people who don't want to be <laughs> to leave the battle. Of course, we see a lot of that going on in our world today as well, a lot of uh, uh, what they call war uh, immigrations and so on. But the, the people of, of Canaan were the... the the Hittites, I remember there was, when I was younger, there was a great uh, controversy about the, the Hittites never existed and so on. And yet, and then later on, archaeology uh, proved, in fact, there were uh, a people, particularly a, a, a relatively prominent people called the Hittites. Uh, they were fairly advanced in terms of the use of uh, weaponry, of, of iron, I think, were some of the earlier iron uh, users in terms of weaponry. The Hittites, the Amorites... Uh, the Canaanites, Perizzites, uh, the Hivites, the Jebusites, uh, all of these different groups that were part of the, the land of Canaan. And uh, sure. that was a time that God was using the people of Israel as an instrument of judgment on them as they came into the land. So we're, okay, we're, we're into chapter 6. We've got some questions out there on the air that you can uh, call in about if you would like and uh, join with us in the discussion of the experiences of the people of Israel. Now, hey, this, hey, Toby, here's an interesting thing. I know that I uh, What is this evil we keep referring to? What is this evil? What are they doing? Now, you got to remember from the biblical perspective and from the Jewish perspective and hopefully Christians, uh, the land of Israel is not owned by the people. It's owned by God. And in his holy land, you got to do his laws. 
So what is this evil that you were so accurately referring to in the beginning? Well, I, I, there was a lot. Uh, there was a, a lot of the things that we would see, we'd think of in our own era as uh, terrible, uh, wicked sexual immorality. There was idolatry, uh, the cruelty. Uh, the gods, uh, these often pagan gods, were incredibly cruel. Uh, there would be, and there would be human sacrifice, uh, both uh, ah, adult and children. Children sacrificed, yeah. yes. That's uh, right. That's, the, the the other things are certainly bad, as you say, like the you know sexual immorality, the idolatry, and I've used this joke before, but you know there's a San Antonio store that does sell idols, right? No. Yes, and it's called idolatry. <laughs> That's a joke. Anybody from Dollar Tree? I'm just joking. Yes. Anyway, but the point is, what the great thing was, and you'll find elsewhere in the, in the quote-unquote Old Testament, it actually says God was fed up with them sacrificing their children. They were killing their children. Exactly. And that is the primary evil. Isn't that fascinating? It is indeed fascinating, particularly when you remember that it, later on, uh, as we watch the people of Israel as they and their struggles, and it's kind of a, it seems to me like almost a constant, almost a constant kind of spiral downward with with some moments, uh, some glimpses of promise and repentance and, and and claiming the promises of God and, and godliness. There's some era, the era, the time of David seems to be a great time of of. Uh, of success and, and with a godly leader, at least a person who wanted to follow God and so on. But we, in general, we watch this spiral downward. And uh, it finally, ultimately, that's what we see when God brings Nebuchadnezzar over from Babylon to judge the nation of Israel. Uh, one of the primary reasons we're seeing uh, that we see there uh, as God announces the, the approach of the Babylonian army is that uh, you you even kill your children, uh, offer, sacrificing your children, something that mm-hmm. you know, I never ever ever would ask for, and so on, and uh, so that is, and it brings, we cannot help but mention uh, that that has a great great application to the modern era where we, uh, in our culture, in our society, uh, we we are dabbling, we are playing with a terrible. Uh, Terrible compromise, moral compromise in our in our uh, society. Uh, all of the some of the very basic uh, elements of life that have been held up by even corrupt, immoral cultures for for centuries. Uh, the, you know the definition and idea of marriage and what it's all about, and and uh, uh, you know the the place of God's word, the prominence and respect shown to His word, and the freedom of worship and themes like that, and also, of course, uh, the whole idea of abortion and the killing of innocent ch- uh, human life, uh, giving that as an option and seeing that as a solution. I, I don't see how anyone can actually see the killing of an innocent child in the place that they should be, the safest uh, the, through God's design in the womb of the mom that that could possibly be seen as the solution to anything. Um, but that's the, where we live today, and so we're going to see perhaps some of those same lessons, and we're we're struggling. There's a battle for the heart and soul, uh, just as there's a battle, continual battle for the heart and soul of Israel 
in the book of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, in this particular era, uh, there's, there's a battle for every nation. And as I said before, evil has to be destroyed. It can't be compromised with. Uh, it has to be defeated. And, of course, every generation has to do it. It's, it's not once, once done and forever done. It's uh, something that every generation. And we'll see that also uh, as a reality in this period of history, uh, in the time of Joshua Judges. And I love the little book, book of Ruth because it's a little bit of a respite. It's a little bit of a, a rest from the... Uh, from the ungodliness and the failure and the unfaithfulness and the the disappointment, uh, I love the little book of Ruth where we see uh, even uh, a, a Moabitess uh, who is a convert to coming and worship the true and living God is used of the Lord in a beautiful way and brought into God's plan. Uh, and it's it's a, a, a one of the reasons I really love the little book of Ruth that we'll get to in just a couple of weeks. We're going to read Joshua, then the books of Judges. Uh, and then we'll get to the book of Ruth. Um, I, I think maybe we're going to answer some questions now, Jacob, and then move to some others and give you a chance to kind of talk about some of these themes that you wanted to talk about. Uh, first, let's talk about the battle plan for conquering Jericho. Uh, in case our, some of our listeners uh, aren't in a position to call or can't remember and would like to know that first there were seven priests blowing ram, ram's horns ahead of the ark for six days the, while the people marched around the city in silence. But on the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times, and then the people were to shout, and the walls of Jericho, as the old song said, came down. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Uh, that was their signal to attack at that point. What an unusual battle plan. What do... What do uh, what, do you think is there an unusual or a unique take on the battle uh, from the Hebrew point of view? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, there is perhaps a, a, a Jewish take on that. As you said, they they you know, march around and they shout. And on the last day, they march around how many times? Seven times. Seven and what day of the week did that happen to take place on? <laughs> Was that the Sabbath? What a brilliant guy you turned out to be. <laughs> it was a lucky guess, shot in the dark, all right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so you got something going on. This, this is the struggle between, you might say, God's laws. In the first place, they really should be followed and implemented is in God's land, Israel, and hopefully they spread through the entire world and all peoples. But, yeah, so you've got everything being then conducted more or less as a holy idea. And, uh, and of course, Jericho is a city. Well, you're going to love this one. Are you sitting down, Sophie? I am. I am seated. Okay, good. I have my well, seatbelt fastened. They seem to have had one God that they strongly admired. All right, we'll talk about that when we come back. We'll have to use it as a little bit of a tease for the moment. Uh, that's the end of our second segment tonight. Uh, we're enjoying talking about the book of Joshua, this uh, leader, the people of Israel as they come into uh, Canaan. Uh, we're taking your phone calls, 340-9585, 340 9585 you're invited to be a part of the program to ask your questions to give your comments 
about, uh, and of course, not necessarily just the book of Joshua. Maybe you have a question in general about the Bible, about the scriptures, about this idea of a relationship with God. We'd love to hear from you and talk to you about uh, how that we can have that life and how that we can live in victory uh, in this life. Give us a call, 340-9585. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. scriptures. We're in the book. We're looking tonight principally at the book of Joshua, but not exclusively. If you have a different question or a different uh, uh, idea in your mind about the scriptures, something that uh, has popped out to you, we don't. We're, we're about all things biblical, but we're focused here in this particular era, this particular time period in the nation of Israel as they cross the Jordan. Again, God opens up a river. They walk across on dry land and they come to the Battle of Jericho. We've talked about that uh, already. Uh, and, and I was going to mention the answer. We're into now answering some of the questions. After the victory of Jericho, why was Israel defeated by the very small town and, and much weaker town in, in, that, in a military sense, a little town called Ai? And we have the incident there in Joshua chapter 7, of this uh, evidently a relatively young man, it sounds like, a man named Achan. We're not totally, totally, you know, his age particularly, but I've always imagined Achan is a relatively young man with a family and so on. But we see him, uh, instead of obeying God, God's strict commands about what was to be done uh, with the uh, with the the take or the 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 uh, wealth or the or even the even the uh, the livestock and so on from uh J- from Jericho uh always to be destroyed but he took some items buried them in his tent and uh this becomes the reason we, we they discover that God is uh, has uh, is judging them as a nation and brings about a defeat in their in experience so uh Achan's, Achan's sin of theft and how that one person's experience, uh, one person, and, and, and I assume it involved at some level his family. I'm not sure how that's viewed. Uh, uh, Jacob, maybe give us a comment on that. But one man's oh, sin here. Oh, the comment on that. Okay, one man's sin here leads to God's judgment and to this defeat. Let me ask one quick question before you I'll replace these two questions we just answered. Uh, Something that a lot of folks don't notice, it's a detail, that when the people did uh, attack and destroy, when Israel did that, destroy Jericho, there was a curse that was announced uh, that was issued uh, by the Lord in the name of the Lord for anyone who would try to to rebuild the city of Jericho. And many, many years later, uh, we see that happen. Uh, It's found in Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. 
uh, there is a curse. And the one who tried to rebuild Jericho, this actually did happen to uh, to him and to his family. So uh, that would be my question tonight. Do any of you remember what was the curse that was issued for anyone who tried to rebuild Jericho? Uh, Joshua 6.26. Meanwhile, let's go back to the theme of Achan's sin in chapter 7 of Joshua. It's a major story in the book. Uh, it's a major moment, a, mom- a teachable moment for the people of Israel. Uh, wh- what's your take on it, Jacob? What, what's well, we, uh, well, yeah, I want to add real quick, because remember we did the little tease at the end of the last half hour about what God did they have right. in Jericho. Okay. It was the moon god. All right. So what you got here is the god of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the city that was dedicated to the moon god. And of course, it's not. I, I don't know how you want to take this, but uh, of course, you know that in the modern religion of Islam, they pray to the moon. You know, I always found that fascinating. Anyway, back to your question about the Aiken. Okay. Yes. Okay. Here's what we got. There is no doubt that he took some stuff. And uh, what he broke is he broke the covenant. And it says in verse 10 of uh, 7.10, it says, uh, God said to Joshua, you have fallen on your face. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them, and have taken banned property. They have stolen. They have lied. They have hidden it away in their vessels. Now, it's only one guy that did it. So how is it that they, and in the Hebrew it's clear that it's suddenly a guy did it, but now it's everybody. And the question would be, why is it everybody? They didn't do it. One guy did it. Yes. That is the so what do you think? Huh? That is the question, in fact. Uh, can an individual can make a difference, uh, not only in this case in terms of judgment, but also can an, uh, can an individual make a difference for righteousness, I would assume, is almost in some way that if we're talking about how God deals with people and uh, with people groups, particularly I think maybe here we could make the uh, comparison to how God deals with his own people, uh, with believers, perhaps not about the culture in general or society at large, but maybe about uh, believers, people who are in covenant relationship with God through uh, through their trust in Messiah, or uh, as we think of in Christianity, we are in a, we are in a covenant uh, relationship now because of our trust in Jesus. We've been brought into that spiritual, that state. We're part now of spiritual Israel, God's people. Maybe this would relate more to how God deals with his own people than to culture at large, but... Uh, what is the take there, the, the idea that God... Well, let's, let's, say, let's take a look at this. Person. Yeah, it is, it's very interesting because uh, it, the idea is that when one guy that's working with you has done it, then in a sense we all share sort of a community responsibility to correct his conduct. And, uh, and you know, it's the whole thing, uh, you probably can quote it better than I can, about we should go to him, talk to him, et cetera, et cetera. But here's a guy, if you look over in the seven, uh, oh, seven, seven twenty-one. Uh, in, in the spoils I saw one fine shinar cloak, 
200 silver shekels and one tongue, I'm reading from English, translated from Hebrew at this point, and one tongue of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, I took them, and I hid them in the earth inside my tent. The silver is beneath it. Now, he took these items. Our initial response is to think, oh, well, he took money, right? Yes. Yeah, well, it's not that, just that. It certainly has some value. But remember he said when we read it back in 10 and 11, it says, you've broken my covenant about taking property that was under the ban, B-A-N. Right. These were those items, the silver, the gold, and the cloak of Shinar is a cloak from Babylon. This is idols. And now they were melted in the shape of idols. So he not only took the value of the gold, certainly, but he also took the actual idols. And that was the ban. So he not only stole, he not only lied, he took the idols. And that's what this is really all about. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he couldn't have done it without everybody being aware that those guys running back to his tent with a great big blanket full of good stuff. So there's something very interesting happens. And uh, they say that, uh, that one morning they take out all the, uh, they take uh, tribes, were marched uh, in uh, 7, let's see, uh, 716. Mm-hmm. It says Joshua was early in the morning, and he had Israel come forward by tribes. The tribe of Judah was designated. Now, he drew lots for the tribes, and does say that. But the Jewish understanding is this. In uh, 716, uh, they used the Urim Vatarim, the breastplate. The, uh, of the priest, yes. Uh-huh. So what they would do is it would light up as the tribes went by. So that's how, if you go back and you read that, that's how they were identifying it, is that the particular stone, because each stone represents a tribe. Yes. So as it went by, one of the stones would light up, in this case it was Judah's stone. And that's why in 29, uh, he says to Joshua, Indeed, I have sinned against God, the Lord of Israel. He sinned not just because he stole the might of all, but he stole the idols, the gods. And there is a suggestion that, in a sense, the metal, the gold, the silver, not just is has a value intrinsically, but when you impress upon it the shape of this other god, it somehow has a, a memory that it was impressed with the shape of another god. Hmm. And the cloak they're referring to is actually a cloak from Babylon. That's fascinating stuff, huh? It really is. And I, I'm, I'm thinking again, this reminds me of the story uh, earlier when God is calling out. We have to remember that God is, that he, we mentioned this earlier, that he is holy and just. And he is calling us, he calls his people to be holy. Uh, you will be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. And holiness is, it means set apart. Uh, there is an aspect, uh, uh, of course, God is holy and unique, and there is no other God beside him. There is no other, he is the true and living God. And we are to be a people set apart for the Lord as well. We are to live uh, uh, love people, serve people, uh, we're to treat people uh, justly and right. And of course, the commands of God that we see in this world. So th- there is a commitment to righteousness and holiness and to purity uh, that 
that is part of being the people of God. And we have to understand that it's a very that that is part of repentance. That's part of, of, of coming uh, to into relationship with God. Part of being a Christian is a commitment to to righteousness. It's confessing to God our, our sin and our selfishness and our, our own unrighteousness and understanding that we need a savior, that we need a redeemer, that we need an atonement made for our sin. And then as we, by faith, receive that forgiveness and cleansing in the Savior, in Messiah, we are to, our desire is to walk in holiness and righteousness. And, it, and it's important that we do that. Sin, I, I guess that's the lesson I keep thinking of, Aiken, is that sin has consequences. I think all of us have seen at times that uh, sometimes there'll be a couple of people having a, a fight or an argument and it'll turn into a huge problem that involves a lot of other people. Uh, I've seen uh-huh. that in family life, you know, sometimes when you're counseling individuals. And, and, and it, pretty soon you've got clans. You've got the, uh, the, the McKinsey's against the other one. You have these tribal battles, in fact, family battles. Uh, if two uh-huh. armies are facing each other across a border and one nervous soldier fires a shot, all out. Conflict it may follow because of the confusion. One rebellious soldier could begin a, a whole war that can cost many people's lives. And in the same way, if a leader of a nation declares war on another country, all the citizens of both countries are part of the conflict. And they, whether they have any animosity toward each other or not, when war is declared, you know, by by your leader, uh, uh. then it, it, it's in this case, of course, we see. Achan broke the covenant of God that God had made with Israel. So all of Israel suffered. And I, and I, I especially think of that there were 36 families that lost loved ones in that, that first battle with the little town of IE. And you think of those 36 families, the men, the fathers, the, you know, the, the brothers that were lost in that battle. And sin has consequences. And uh, we should never... Well, let's get down. Let's get down. Why don't we get down to the big issue at hand? Okay. And this is, and if you got your Bible handy, why don't you read uh, 7, 24, 25? Because this is the issue that everybody has a great deal of difficulty with. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said to Achan, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble in, on you. And all the Israelites, it says here, stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. And the place was called the Valley of Trouble. And the Lord, uh, of course, judged uh, the nation and the people the involved. And, uh, okay, now, forward. Is, there, is there something, I, the version you read... And I think you read something about and it stoned his family. Yes, it seems the family is involved in this yes. particular version. I, I don't think that's. Uh, that's uh, yeah, no, that's a very. Would that strike you as odd? Yes. It should, because you're a fair man. We would not want to kill somebody's children because of something their daddy did wrong, would we? Right, exactly. So, I want to tell you here's what it. And I understand. And if you translate it family, it sounds like God killed the whole bunch of them, doesn't it? Yes. But is. here is what it really says. Would you like to know what it says? I would. And, I, and I know that the Hebrew text is not entirely clear about whether his relatives were executed with him. 
uh, maybe you will bring clarify that for us. Uh, could it be they were involved in the deception and so on? But I, I, I tend to think you're exactly right that that was not part. Uh, they had to witness it. I, I'm assuming, uh, but they were not themselves uh, executed. Right, and be, and so it says uh, from the Hebrew it says Joshua, all Israel took took Acham and uh, Zerach and the silver and the cloak and the tongue of gold, the sons of daughters, the oxen, the donkeys, the sheep, and everything he owned, and brought them to the valley of Achor. Mm-hmm. As you in twenty five, as you brought calamity upon us, said Joshua, so shall. God bring calamity upon you today. And so they pelted him with stones, and then they buried them in fire and stoned them. And the word them, the question is, does that imply, as perhaps your translation does, his family, his daughters, where's his wife? Well, she didn't get included in this verse. And here's the idea. The word them, (laughs) from the Hebrew from the Jewish understanding, because it'd also be unjust to kill the children. <clears throat> the them is referring to the items, the items, not the children. They were taken, and they had to be witnesses. They had to watch, as all Israel did. But the them is the items yes. that are burned and stoned. So there's not the. It, they don't understand that to me, that the kids got killed because we have a very, very unusual situation that uh, the children shall not die for the sins of the parents, and yet we have this example of it happening. Yes. So the historical understanding has always been it is not the children. Certainly, Akon got his just dessert, you might say. But everybody was witnesses, and they even took his children to be the witnesses. Now, that's, that may be a hard thing, but that's what it's understood. They didn't have the idea until it was explained to them, you know, a couple thousand years later by more modern readers, oh, that included their family. And uh, ancient Jews would say, whoa, what now? No. So they, they didn't have that idea. Huh? That word them, and, and, and I was talking to somebody this week about the fact, one of the things that I'm learning is that the... Uh, linguistics and language is is crucial and vital. Context is to- totally important, and an understanding of the whole is uh, important to understanding of individual individual parts of the scriptures. And uh, right. this is one of those great cases that we see that that one little word them uh, to which to uh, as it's a judgment is made as to what did it refer. And of course. Uh, you're right that the command of God was clear about what, what was to be done, that the sins of the fathers were not to be carried out and uh, the consequences on the children and so on. And I, I'm convinced that you're absolutely right about that, that verse. And, and well, thank you, but don't don't give me too, credit. I'm, uh, too much credit. I'm just repeating what other people said for a couple thousand. <laughs> All right, exactly. Well, let's move on to another question. We're, we're just coming to the last segment of our program, the last few minutes. And you and I have enjoyed a great conversation. I hope folks are learning and taking note of these great lessons. From, but we've not moved further than the books, uh, chapters six and seven. Uh, I want to. Yeah, I want to ask what is really. I'd like to know. Do you want to know what Caleb means? Yes, I was going to come to that. Yeah, let's uh, let's okay. answer that question. Okay, if you Google it, you're going to find it means dog, but that is a, a common mistake. It's a very close Hebrew word, but the word Kalev, love is heart. K 
Ka, like Caleb, uh-huh. all. So his name actually means all heart. All heart? Yeah, love is heart, yeah. Well, how about that? All heart. Caleb is all heart. That's, uh, <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, does, uh, uh, a, pa- a man of passion, a man of uh, a heart for God, or is that uh, all heart? Interesting. He is an yeah. extremely inter- interesting individual. His daughter, uh, Aksa, uh, he gives his daughter Aksa uh, additional land with water wells from his inheritance. His, the land he takes is a, a mountainous land called Hebron in the south, southern part of uh, Israel. At age 85, he is given his choice of what particular part of the land that he would like to have. And instead of taking the easy places, he said, "Give me those mountains. I'll go. I'll conquer those." And uh, and he conquers that mountainous land in the southern part of of Israel, called Hebron. Uh, it was called Kiriath Arba, I think, sometimes in our versions before that. Right. But his yeah. daughter is given a land, and his 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 uh, son-in-law, Aksal's uh, husband becomes the first of the 12 judges in the book of Judges that we're going to read starting this coming week. We'll be reading the book of Judges, and Othniel is his name, and he becomes the first of the 12 judges that are mentioned in the book of Judges. So uh, this this man, Caleb, uh, not only in his own lifetime, a long, uh, illustrious life, and a, a faith-filled life, but his family as well goes on evidently to serve God, his son, uh, to serve the Lord, to be a courageous uh, individual, a, a, a leader in the country, in the nation. So uh, Caleb is, it was Caleb's nephew, I think, who Othniel, Othniel was. It wasn't his son, I don't believe. I'm, I think I've got that wrong. It was his nephew. Uh, but very interesting, the relationships that flowed out of uh, this man named Caleb. Now, we asked a question at the beginning of the program, Jacob, about whose remains were finally buried in the promised land. Oh, good. And we we jumped all the way from chapters 6 and 7 all the way to the end to chapter 24. And uh, there's a whole lot of adventure. There's a whole lot of of battles and a whole lot of stories in between, uh, mainly battle stories and times when Israel was faithful and and God was faithful to them to deliver the, the, the battles to them. Uh, and and uh, before he died, Joshua reminds Israel of their covenant, their basic, a binding contract that they had made with God. And God's part was to give them victory over the Canaanites, but Israel's part was to obey the law of Moses, to obey God's laws, to drive out the the pagan uh, nations, the idolatries, the no treaties, destroy the altars. There was to be no compromise with wickedness, with evil, with idolatry. Uh, and that's so hard for us to somehow believe today that that uh, that we can we can we can compromise we can tolerate tolerate wickedness and evil and and, and be just fine as if it has no consequences. Uh, it, it seems like that would be one of the great lessons that we get out of the book of Joshua. But let's answer the question first about these bones, these remains that were finally buried in Canaan in the Promised Land, uh, as had been requested. Uh, by the owner of the <laughs> of those bones. Yeah, by the owner of the earlier. bones. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Then you go ahead. So. Okay. Those belong from Genesis chapter 50. 
we see that uh, when Joseph, way back in Egypt, that young man who God used to uh, save the nation of Israel in its uh, in its infancy uh, through uh, the the father of uh, Jacob uh, and, and his children, Joseph was uh, taken down into servitude. He was placed in prison. He endured a, a great deal of difficulties, and yet God blessed him and protected him. And uh, this man was used of God to keep the nation, uh, preserve them through a time of famine, and also preserve them there in the land of Egypt. Uh, they started out as invited special guests and then honored guests, and then they became servants and slaves uh, in the land of Egypt, and then they were brought out. But before they were brought out, in chapter 50 of the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph himself makes them promise to take his remains with them into the promised land. When God takes you into the land, he said, as he has promised to do, take my remains with you. Any final comments, Jacob? Uh, just be the kind of person you'd like to have for a parent. How's that? That's a great one. See you next week, folks. Thanks for joining us, joining us here on The Bible. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.